Welcome to the Feng Shui Way with Catherine Dean. Over the next hour, you're going to learn how Feng Shui can help you lead a more balanced and peaceful life. Now, here is Catherine. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining me on this episode of the Feng Shui Way with Catherine Dean. I am your host, and I am delighted you're here today. I feel we have a really special show. Uh, Before we get to my guest, I wanted to just fill you in on a few of my thoughts. You know by now that I like to make mention of what is currently going on, either with the weather or the Buffalo Bills. And thank you, Buffalo, for the win last night. We really appreciate that. (laughs) And the weather has just been stellar. It's so beautiful right now. It's warm, very unusual for Western New York at this time of year. Um, But I can't let this episode go by without mentioning Halloween. Um, This is so many people's favorite time of year. It's such a fun time to get creative, to decorate, gather with your friends, and of course, for the kids, the trick-or-treating. And I have written on how feng shui and Halloween intertwine with each other, which seems unusual, but uh, they do in many ways. One may think there is no correlation between the two, but there is some symbolism in feng shui and Halloween that bring the two together. A couple of examples. For one, there is the color. Orange is a derivative of red, and red represents the fire element and encourages socializing, conversations, and communication, which is played out in many Halloween parties. Black is the color which represents the water element. We see black in many of the Halloween decorations, you know, the costumes and the garland and other seasonal accessories. So we see a connection with colors and the elements. When you see Halloween decorations, we often notice owls, ravens, and bats, and all of these have symbolic meaning as well. In feng shui, we seek clarity, and owls can encourage clear thinking. In feng shui, we are always looking to dispel negative energy, and ravens ward off negative energy. And bats, a longstanding symbol of Halloween, attract positive energy. And there's here's a quick feng shui tip for you. If you want to decorate with your bats and ravens and owls, have them face outside. You can have them greet your trick-or-treaters by placing them on your porch or on a windowsill so that they can keep guard. And if you want to put them on a table as a decoration, have them face a window. But like all things, how, although I find Halloween fun, It's fun until it's not. Not everyone likes the costumes, the feeling of pretending to be someone you're not, or the scariness of some of the costumes people choose. Most people relate to what I mean when we speak of clowns. Everybody you you know, every everyone knows someone who says, "Oh my goodness, clowns!" Uh, They're they're the fun clowns, but then there are the evil looking, scary clowns. And faced with certain clowns or any other costume that evokes fear, it can bring about a strong response. Like, you know, we'll hear someone say, I hate clowns. I was traumatized by a clown when I was a kid. And I think many of us can relate to that. So today, trauma itself is the focus of our episode and how feng shui is used in treating it. My guest, Cynthia Young, is a very, I feel, a very special person a certified essential feng shui practitioner and trauma support specialist who lives near Phoenix. She works with groups, individuals, and trauma survivors to help them better understand how to support their authenticity and how painful past experiences can affect how we live and thrive in our space. 
She has also earned certificates in nonviolent communication practitioner training and functional medicine and complex trauma support. Cynthia specializes in residential and commercial feng shui, landscape energy design, and co-creating trauma-informed spaces. Cynthia has a very unique experience as a medical trauma survivor, and I will have her explain that to us in a moment. She has gone on in life to open her business, Astea Studios, which is an integration of trauma-informed support and feng shui guidance. She has spoken with groups worldwide and has studied and practiced near Boston for many years before moving to the Southwest. So welcome, Cynthia Young. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for having me. And I want to say hello to everybody who's listening. Uh, hopefully you're in a, in a safe space today and uh, ready to do some learning. Well, that's my wish for everyone as well. And I'm glad you're here. And thank you so much for taking the time to be here. And so, you know, let's just let's just jump in. Um, well, first of all, you're a feng shui practitioner. So tell me how you found feng shui or did it find you or how did you find yourself in the practice? You know, I always like to say that the universe is conspiring for our good at all times. And it certainly was for me. Uh, I moved from, I grew up near Boston and I moved from the Northeast five years ago to the Southwest. And when I did, our real estate professionals had a colleague they brought with them who was a feng shui practitioner. And she ultimately led me to the Western School of Feng Shui and getting my certification. Uh, but she was very clear when she walked through my house that that there was some intuitive work by me already going on. Um, I went through a divorce and in 2013, that really made me take stock of my life and of how I was living in my environment. And I think that too helped me shift um, towards, towards practicing feng shui. Well, we find, you know, we practitioners, we have our unique story, but then there's so many of us who do a branch, a branch out, and you do the um, trauma-informed spaces, and you work with uh, people who survive trauma in a feng shui, from a feng shui perspective. How were you able to put those two together? How did that come about? Sure. So, you know, I want to I mention first that um, I started practicing kind of the, the typical feng shui, going into residences and working mm -hmm. with businesses. But what I noticed right away as I started to do that was that I needed a little bit more information to be able to support people. Um, what I was seeing was uh, a lot of fracturedness, a lot of uh, dysregulation, disorganization, and knew that knew that it was going beyond simple uh, the simple practice of feng shui. So I went back in my education to get a trauma support certification from the Arizona uh, Trauma Institute. Okay. And what that allowed me to do was understand the patterns that we live out in our homes is that we may be doing the hard work of healing outside the home and really working with our own identities and our own uh, getting stronger, our own strength building uh, but that we were coming back to homes that still had patterns where we were living past past experiences. So the the home can exhibit um, signs of the past experiences. Can you you want to give us a couple of examples of 
it, was there something specific you saw over and over or were there things? Okay. Um, why don't you explain what, what that was like for you? Sure. So, so in my own past experience, um, I have lived in a really dysregulated space where there was, um, uh, uh, items that were sort of expanded where there was furniture that was too dense. Um, and as I started to go into homes uh, in, in my area now, I'm starting to notice lots of fractured pieces. So uh, items that have no home, uh, no sense of organization or flow through the house, furniture that is too big for the space. Uh, it really has to do with contraction and expansion in feng shui, at least for me. Right. Is that when I walk into walk into a space, whether it's commercial or residential, I'm looking for patterns of density. Is there overcrowding? I'm looking for artificial versus uh, natural light. I'm looking for a clear idea of congruence throughout the space. Is there a way for me to find my way through the space and to understand the story of what's going on. Do you need to, do you need to sit with the space or do you start to talk to the client or um, where, where's your stronger message coming from the space or the client? So when we enter a space, um, our bodies are going to process what's going on in the space, even before we've cognitively realized yeah. that we're in the space. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with our bodies holding the messages of what we've experienced. So when I walk into a space, it's it's pretty quick um that I'm that I'm led to certain areas and thinking hmm what's going on and then I may ask the question what's going on? What's going on in the space? Okay. How yeah. how are people sleeping? Uh what else is going on in the space? Are is it joyful? Mm -hmm. Uh is it is it do you feel well? Uh, how is it going? So do you wait for, okay, so you wait for their answer and you see how they respond. Uh, I'm curious about how they respond. Are they just like natural, they just naturally just answer the question or do you notice um, hesitations or any kind of, um, oh, you know, defensiveness or or just a willingness to like, sure, like, let's talk. I, I'm curious about what you tend to encounter in situations like this. Uh, it, it's often very different when each client is really individual. Uh, sometimes people contact me because they're really ready to do some work. They understand, they're aware that uh, there are some other forces affecting their space. And sometimes people are not attuned to it at all. Yeah. Um, I, I, there are some questions that I will ask where I can tell if there's contraction right away, if there's body bracing. Okay. Um, so I know, I know that maybe I need to come at that question in a little bit of a, a different way and, and to mm -hmm. obviously be very compassionate. Um, and some people are just not aware. They've not been in typical experiences where the home was seen where as anything other than a container. Um, so I continue to ask as I go through the space and start to work with the nine quadrant energy map and Feng Shui. Yeah, uh, I will start to ask questions about each of the nine areas, and I will start to say, "How are your relationships? How are things going in business?" Um, if I start to see uh, chaos in different areas, I will say, "Are you having headaches? Uh, is anyone in the house ill? Is anyone having chronic issues?" Um, okay, looking. Sure. So I can lead that client to seeing the relationship between the two. 
So when you say that some people call you and because they're ready and they're they're aware that other influences are there, you've got that leg up on that situation. And that's got to be, um, I don't know if it's easier, but you've got more knowledge earlier. And so I'm curious about how you go about helping a person realize they're reacting to a threat or, or a situation, and then they're not even aware of it. And, and it's, it's, it's all very unconscious. Uh, our nervous system does the work of beautifully of keeping us alive. Um, so we never want to fix anything. I never walk into a space expecting to fix anything, but I do expect to gain data from it. And that's okay. something that I like to, to teach clients. So they start to build a capacity for understanding their space. They start to build agency. Um, so I had somebody contact me after a talk I did last spring and she said, I know I have trauma in my past. I know I have some past painful learning and I know it's in, I know it's in my space. I know it's in my townhouse. Mm, okay. So we did a, we did a virtual visit because she's not anywhere near me. And, mm-hmm. um, I started to see that there were, there were pictures, there were items that were keeping her stuck in that past experience. She was, I think had the items out because she was still trying to reconcile uh, some things that had happened. Um, so we started to work with artwork on the wall. Where are you celebrating yourself? Where are we celebrating the grown up you in this space? Where are we celebrating your achievements, your fame, the way you live your life with integrity? Mm-hmm. Um, she knew she had those experiences going in. I never ask what the traumatic experience is. Oh, um, because we don't want to confront trauma. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make somebody recount their story again and again. That can be very re-traumatizing. But I want to work with the patterns that I'm seeing uh, her exhibit. So we worked on uh, replacing or restoring some items that were in her consciousness, in her presence every day. We removed some things that were constantly reflecting the fact that she had had this painful experience. Uh, But again, we're not fixing that. We're not just removing it to try and create a balance. We're saying, how does this item affect me daily? If I walk down the stairs and see this mirror every single day, and I know it was made by somebody who uh, I had a painful experience with, can I put that, can I understand that that's affecting the reflection of my self-esteem? Um, and can we can we celebrate the present person while understanding the pain of the past? Can we understand that that doesn't need to mobilize our system any longer? So you mentioned the nervous system and how um, wonderful it is. Um, I'm somewhat somewhat aware of nervous system responses in, in the context in which you uh, speak of it. Um, is this a constant uh, nervous system responses? Are we always reacting? So, so there's a large majority of people that have trauma and there's a large group of people that I work with that have trauma. And there are some who, who don't and who, who are not affected by that. Um, so when we do talk about trauma, we're talking about constantly trying to find uh, and establish safety. So our nervous systems are always going to be scanning for threats. I am a 48-year trauma survivor. I had a pediatric stroke at six years old. um, So that left my body in constant threat. Bessel van der Kolk, uh, the great 
the great doctor, the great professor has written a book called, you know, when the body keeps the body keeps the score. And it means that our bodies are constantly holding the messages that, that we've received from experiences. Uh, so my threat system is always on alert. Our, we have something called uh, the autonomic nervous system mm-hmm. that is going to be our little, our threats, our threat detection system. And it is going to constantly respond when it thinks it is in threat. Now, because I had trauma in the past, it means that things like loud noises bother me. Um, dense rooms bother me. Things where I'm not sure I can find my way through. If my body experiences that, especially in my home, it's going to think I'm in threat. Even though my medical trauma happened 48 years ago, it still thinks I'm in threat and is going to work to protect me every single time. So I will stay in response until the response is resolved or I've established some kind of safety. Now, when something triggers me or I go into response, that can last for several days. Um, I have worked. mm -hmm. No, no. Finish your thought. I have worked with trauma professionals and and done my own healing so that I can get to a place where I say, oh, this feels like response. So here are the things I can do. Okay. So for you and many who are Mm -hmm. trauma survivors, staying in the moment can be the challenge because you're always looking for the threat, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Our body is always going to work. Our body's not concerned about our manifestation. We are wired for survival, not for happiness. Okay. And our body is going to say, nope, we can't do that thing because we need to put you in safety. All right. Well, we're going to take a break in a moment. And um, you touched on uh, your medical trauma, which I really would like to be able to dive into a little bit more. And so we will do that as soon as we come back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The Feng Shui way to peace, balance, and abundance with Catherine Dean is about bringing the benefits of Feng Shui to the forefront, allowing everyone with an interest to learn and understand how its principles can work in one's day-to-day life. We'll demystify Feng Shui, show its many applications, and allow the listener to understand how and why it is so useful. The goal is to educate, entertain, and spread the word about using Feng Shui Way to bring about peace, balance, and abundance to one's life. The Feng Shui Way with Catherine Dean, Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. 
She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to the Feng Shui Way with Catherine Dean. Have a question for Catherine or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5787. That's 866-472-5787. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I really hope we get some questions, Cynthia, because I have a million of them. But um, (laughs) a lot of people are shy, you know, when it comes to calling in. But I hope if anyone's got a question out there, you're not too shy to to ask. Um, So you had a medical trauma and you touched on it in the first segment there. Can you can you uh, explain and and fill us in on what's happened in, in the history of how you got here? Sure. So uh, I'm happy to do that and then uh, talk a little bit about how that how that works with me and against me in Feng Shui. Okay. On the first, on the first day of first grade in 1974, uh, my right carotid artery dissected and sent a blood clot to my brain, which caused a stroke. Um, I have paralysis on my left side. Uh, I was in the hospital for several weeks in Boston and was taught to walk again, was taught to first crawl and then walk again, and then went back to school in a wheelchair where I was tutored to keep up with my classmates. Now, that sounds inspirational, which is what I hear a lot. Um, But there is another side of that, which is dealing with trauma response because my body always feels like I'm in threat. Dealing with contraction of muscles, uh, embracing, which can lead to exhaustion and can lead to uh, chronic issues. We have something in our body called HPA access, and that is our threat detection system. So uh, our hypothalamus is out there looking for threats and finds a threat. We'll send the information to our pituitary glands, and then we'll send it down to our adrenal system which will release hormones for us to either fight, to flee, or to freeze. And and people have heard those terms in terms of nervous system activation. Uh, We're talking about polyvagal theory, which was uh, Stephen Porges's work. So for me, reaction of my body constantly is, is in one of those states. Through working with my environment and through working with some other trauma professionals, I've learned to recognize that and, and to use some strategies to keep me understanding the data that my body gives, but also understanding how to to calm my body and to work with the response that I'm having. So as a disabled person kind of walking through the world, there could be a sound that dysregulates me. There could be some uh, density, some uh, reaction to dark lighting. It's especially dark lighting for me. Um, I have a lot of trouble uh, controlling my thermal ability. So things like nested window coverings work well for me in my home because I can have decision-making power over how hot or cold I am. Oh, interesting. 
Okay. So it's every, it's basically every aspect of your life, but you have, you've learned how to, would you call it manage? Would you call it cope? How, what would you, how would you describe um, the assimilation into your life? Sure. So I, I call it working with, um, nope. because it, there are days when my body just takes over and there are days I will let it take over because I want to know what the cue is. Um, if I walk into somebody's space and they said, oh, I have lots of anxiety. Well, what's the anxiety telling us? I don't want to make it go away until I know what it's telling me. Um, our homes are either, either giving us cues of safety or cues of threat uh, or somewhere in between. And I want to work with people, especially folks who have had trauma, to say, we want to we want to co-design in this space cues of safety. Uh, when I come downstairs in the morning in my space, I almost always look to the right. Uh, the hallway in my home is very clear. I don't allow perimeter clutter at all. Mm -hmm. So I know my wayfinding is safe. I know that because I walk with a limp and I walk with a different gait that I am safe walking through my space. Well, my body goes, oh, I'm safe in that aspect. Okay. So if you were to go out and you're not familiar with the space, mm -hmm. like if you wanted to go to a concert or, you know, a comedy club sure. or something. Um, so that's a different story. And there's a different set of um, preparations. Is that the right word? Sure. I, I do a lot of self-prep in terms of what am I going to need to manage myself in this space? Because it's my responsibility ultimately to keep myself safe. I was at a concert last night and, uh, you know, it was a, it was a, it was tight quarters and uh, everybody was standing up. So when there were times when I felt too contracted or starting to get dysregulated, I sat down and that okay. is how I took care of myself. Uh, I always tell the story of I was at a workshop uh, early on in my feng shui career and folks had moved the furniture together because it was sort of a cozy way to sit. There were some big recliners that were pushed together. My body immediately went into reaction and I immediately, my system immediately saw it as unsafe and that I was going to have trouble moving through that area, moving through that space, mm -hmm. because I know I don't walk like everybody else. So that is a time when I have to double down and ask for what I need. A lot of times when we have dysregulation in a space, it's because there's an unmet need. Um, our behaviors are determined by getting our needs met. So, and so, we can seek out getting our needs met either consciously or unconsciously. That's correct. And, okay. and our, our nervous system is always going to be looking for to meet that need of safety. Mm -hmm. So I had to speak up and say, you know, gee, you know, folks, could we separate this furniture? Because it's hard for me to walk through. Mm -hmm. that, that's a really good instance of my taking care of myself. Um, if I'm with a group, I will say, gee, you know, that repetitive sound is really dysregulating me. Could we could we remove that? Uh, and that comes into play when we have appliances in the home where we have repetitive sounds or constant humming or slamming doors. Uh, I'm a big fan of using tect uh, tectum as um, flooring in businesses so that there's not a constant knocking of shoes. Uh, when we talk about trauma-informed spaces, it means creating a multisensory environment, a multisensory ecology that isn't harsh. And that takes into account people do have responses from these things. Okay. And then how do you incorporate that with the feng shui aspect mm -hmm. of it? Mm -hmm. 
So no, I don't even want to take it away. I don't want to. Um. <laughs> so when we're in a space, the first thing I'm going to look for is wayfinding. And I'm going to look to make sure that everybody in the space can get through and find their way through and find their way out. That's going to send a cue of safety to all of our bodies. Uh, I'm going to look for vertical clutter that often is something that people don't realize is causing them stress. Um, first and foremost, I'm going to look for things like geopathic stress around the house. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, EJ Seffert, who is uh, with the London School of Feng Shui, is a great, great resource for that. Um, I'm going to look for vertical clutter. Uh, I'm going to say, is there stress in this space coming from above? And are we, is that disconnecting our um, us from our, our sort of beyond our divine source? Um, are we are we trying to create an obstacle so we're not connected to that? And the other thing is lighting. Lighting can be very dysregulating, especially if there's not transition in lighting in spaces. Uh, I'm going to look for sharp edges. I'm going to look for what we call in Feng Shui poison arrows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to look to soften. You know, uh, Western architecture is very 90 degree angle. It's very sharp. Yeah. And I'm going to look to soften that up. Um. So you walk in, you see a space like that. You say, okay, I see this vertical clutter. Do you, mm-hmm. it, it, what do you do? do? I think you mentioned before you start to ask questions, but you look for the response and the answer from your client to mm-hmm. see if it's, if you're on the right track of how you're asking these questions. Sure. It, it, so for me, it's always about how is the client coming into relationship with the things in their home? It's a reciprocal relationship. So we're really looking for reciprocity in Feng Shui. I might say to the client, what's that stuff on your hutch? What's that stuff above your kitchen cabinets? Is that something you're having a relationship with? Um, and they may say, nah, I put that up there 10 years ago and you know, I never mm-hmm. think to dust it or I never think to take it down. In my attitude is always, if you're coming into relationship with things in your space, um, those things may fall out of your realm. They may fall out of your consciousness as something that doesn't serve you. Um, If there is somebody ill in the house or I know there's been uh, chronic issues, I'll say, okay, that's got to go. Oh, you just, you come right out and say. I might come right past that question and say, that's got to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very affected by that. I do not have things above my cabinets. It's not a storage space. We want to make sure that that chi is flowing. Even um, closed door cupboards? What do you do in that case? Um, so so if I come into your home and uh, I'm going to look in closets, I'm going to look in cupboards, I'm going to look okay. everywhere. We, we just want to make sure that there's an organizational flow. Mm-hmm. Um, if there are, let's say, for instance, you have your knife collection. Um, and you're feeling like your life is a little prickly or people are stabbing you in the back, I might ask a question about that and say, is there another another spot we can put that? Yeah, it's interesting about knife collections. People, you have these chefs and, and, you know, really great cooks and their knives are their um, pride and joy. They just see them as a tool for cooking. And then there's that other whole aspect of knives you know, and we could go down the list of different things that are and how they're interpreted in feng shui. Yeah. So, so the stimuli in feng shui um, is very symbolic and it energetically has a value, has a weight. Yeah. So things like uh, blinds, which, you know, you know, we want to think about blinds in a window that kind of cut 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not as concerned about knives if if there's not an issue in the home. Yeah. But um, to have too many or to display them on a wall may be an issue. Yeah, I would never advise one of my clients to uh, put their um, their knives on a wall. I just wouldn't. I mean, I would say to them, you are free to do whatever you want. But in my professional opinion, I, I just wouldn't advise it. Um, even if it's not a question of, um, you know, safety or aesthetics or anything like that. I mean, you could hurt yourself, you know, like I mean, accidentally, you know. <laughs> There are things in our space that that send us messages energetically. Um, one of those specifically is crowded furniture. Uh, yeah, you've mentioned the density. So yeah. your nervous system sees crowding as density, and des- density represents contraction for our body. Um, so if I walk into, I see a lot that there are homes that have furniture that's just too big. It's mm-hmm. just too big. Um, and either we've inherited it or we've downsized or, or we we think that it's a measure of value. And I will say, how do you feel in the space? And they may say, well, you know, I passed through this room really quickly. Mm-hmm. It's because your body's bracing. It's because your body doesn't like it. So, I, you know, we need to have the discussion. You're walking past this living room every day with this really dense furniture. How is that affecting you on your way out the door? How are you showing up in the world in a contracted body? So that brings to mind, um, how would you advise a client who maybe just bought the furniture and now it's too big or they inherited their beloved mother or grandmother's hutch and it's just... I, I can I could see a lot of problems there, you know, like I love it or we just spent the money. I don't have the money for something new. How do you advise? So so my first rule with a client is always if you love it, we leave it. If it's okay. not disrupting you and these things may not be disruptive for everyone, mm-hmm. then we leave it. Um, because if it's bringing you joy, then I want to leave it. Uh, people have attachments. Uh, I'm just starting my work in attachment theory in my studies. Um, but people have attachment, uh, to things that we have to explore. We have to make sure that that's something that's sending us a safe cue. Um, but just to, just to have the client realize and bring into their consciousness that if you are feeling like you're rushing through this room or you are feeling like you're stuck in your relationship or stuck in your life, this may be contributing. So can we space it? Can we arrange it so that it is more conversational and less dense? So maybe it's the kind of situation where they don't have to get rid of it, but maybe take one chair out and find another location for that one chair or that table or whatever the case may be. Maybe we repurpose it. Maybe we add uh, something in between. I always mm-hmm. want to take furniture off the wall. I very oftentimes see people push everything against the wall because yeah. they're trying to make space. They are unconsciously trying to create that safe space for themselves. Oh, I see. It's not just a question of visual spacing. It's it's a safety space. I think it's both. I think it depends on the client. You know, I want um, I want my client to. I don't want to fix things with feng shui. I want to have the client build build uh, the muscle of intuition and then also build uh, competency and capacity on how they want to arrange their space if something doesn't feel right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> arranging spaces, though, is very much a feng shui thing. So I know what you're saying that 
you know, you don't want it to be fixed per se. You want it, you're trying to empower, empower people. It sounds like. Because Feng Shui is never a set it and forget it. Um, you know, we have lots of tips and tricks in our mm-hmm. social media. We we love to hashtag nervous system and things like that. I don't think it's ever a fix it and forget it. I think that uh, the energy is constantly changing. The chi is constantly flowing. And as homeowners, we can tune into that and really ask our house, you know, what what's needed here. If if you know our partnerships are not feeling good or our business partnerships are not feeling good, we may go in and look at the love and relationship sector and say, have we arranged the furniture conversationally? Uh, are there seating choices? Are you always against the wall, you know, with your back against the wall mm-hmm. or, or stuck in a corner, I guess is a better, a better um, description. Um, you know, are you having to come out swinging um, are you feeling crowded in your life? So, you know, we will definitely look at that arrangement for sure. Yeah. But we start to look for things in home offices like command position. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be something I would titrate, uh, work very slowly with a client who had trauma because being in the, the command position for Feng Shui is very powerful. But if they are somebody who really feels unsafe with confrontation or eye contact, I have to consider that. I have to work with that. Wow. That is a very good point because we do push, we, you know, we promote it. I shouldn't say push it. We promote it um, because we always want to be empowered. We always want to feel like we're welcoming in opportunity. We're welcoming in um, knowledge or whatever the case may be. We don't want to be taken by surprise. And that is a very interesting take on the command position um, that we just I mean, that is not something that, let me just say that that was news to me. How's that? <laughs> so, and, yeah. so into, you know, you asked, uh, you know, before when, when we were prepping for this about what trauma-informed means, and, and it simply means that we're meeting the safety and the needs of, of the client. And um, it comes in very many different forms. Many different and, And we can pick that up when we come back. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have more with with Cynthia Young. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Did you know that the quality of our daily lives is directly influenced by the design of our built environment? Our homes, our work, the way we move, and where we play are all shaped by the design of our cities. This thought-provoking new show from architect, urban designer, and educator, Carrie Pennebod, examines the complex forces that shape the making of our physical world. Lively conversations with leading experts in a variety of fields engage some of the greatest challenges facing our cities today, including climate change, affordable housing, embedded technologies, infrastructure design, architecture and the arts, urban policy, social mobility, and much, much more. Tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, so that together we can design a better world. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. 
Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to The Feng Shui Way with Catherine Dean. Have a question for Catherine or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5787. That's 866-472-5787. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Cynthia Young, and we're talking about um, medical trauma and feng shui and how feng shui is used in trauma. And and, um, Cynthia, we were talking about your medical trauma, the stroke that you had as a child. Can you uh, talk to me about the differences or that versus non-medical trauma? Sure. Um, I can speak from my own experience in terms of my own trauma. Um, If I am working with clients uh, I don't really ask what kind of trauma it is because, I, again, I never want to recount and draw somebody through their through their story. I'm not confronting something that's immediately at the core. So, so an example would be mine was definitely medical trauma. Um, but if I were me meeting me as a client, mm-hmm. I would say, where are the places you're contracting? Because um, I can see it in your space. Where are the places where you don't feel safe? So when somebody says, I have trauma, I want to work with you, I oftentimes will just look at the behavior. Um, The thing that I think made my experience unique was that I was so young. So I don't really know. uh, I don't really know. um, Any other way except for the way that when my body moves. So you you talk a lot and mention a lot about contracting, and I'm just wondering if there's people out there who are a little unsure what you mean about contracting. Sure. I have an image in my mind, something you know, tightening up, being made smaller, curling in. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that? What you're uh, referring to? Is it something different? Uh, it's part of what I'm referring to. Is is contraction? My body does a lot of bracing, um, armoring. Yeah. So my body will do that to protect myself when I'm in response. Uh, if I am to do that again and again, my body is going to create the stress hormone that's going to keep me alive. That's a good thing because we get kept alive. It's a bad thing because too much of those hormones, it gives us chronic disease uh, well, or can right. contribute to digestion problems, high blood pressure and other things. That also leaves me in chronic pain a lot of the time. Uh, And I have things that I do to mitigate that, that I've learned over the years. But 
in terms of a space, if somebody's walking into your business and the first thing they do is brace because of the temperature, the lighting, the noise, uh, the sharp furniture, furniture that doesn't look safe. I need to think about that as a business owner. So if I were working in Feng Shui with that business, I would say, you know, you got a lot of furniture that's really sharp here. Mm -hmm. Um, People walking in are not going to feel good in your space. They're not going to feel safe. And that may affect you as a business. So when you are, when you're dealing with, with your clients, you're thinking in terms of trauma and you're also thinking in terms of Feng Shui and you're in a, you 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 are what's called an essential feng shui practitioner. Sure. Um, can you explain what that is? Sure. Um, there are a couple different schools of feng shui, as I'm sure people are getting to know as they come through your series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started Western feng shui from the Western School of Feng Shui. Um, essential practitioner is the name that they give it when you graduate. It's their type of uh, practitioner. And what that means is I'm looking at uh, the form of the form of the space around your house. I'm looking at the things in your space. I'm looking at the way that you have your space arranged uh, and whether or not it is congruent and making meaning for you. Do you find that you go to clients' homes and they're perfectly comfortable and you walk in and you are not? Uh, that's a really interesting question. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I have to deal with my own dysregulation on a daily basis and that includes during my work. Um, I can, I can remember working with a client early on who I adore. He's a long-term client, but his space is very dark. It's very Mm -hmm. dark. And he's got, he's got blinds that are closed and very, very light kind of yin lighting. He loves it. It's important for him. When I'm in the space, I have to be sure that I stay in regulation so that my body responses are not affecting him as a client. That's a great question. Well, that's a great answer too, because that takes a lot of dedication and clearly you love what you do and you love your clients. And I don't think that any one of us as feng shui practitioners can do our work without love of the client and love of the work. So I, I admire that you're able to do that, especially you may be more sensitive than someone else. I don't know. Um, and, and you may not be, but that takes um, a true dedication. So um, I appreciate that. I wanted to um, I wanted to talk to you about manifesting and affirmations because that that can be something that, we in feng shui, we do our mantras and um, we do our meditations, but you know, I I don't know if it's a specific feng shui focus to do manifesting and affirmations. Yes, the manifesting with our intentions, mm-hmm. but the affirmations and and putting them together. And I I'd like your thoughts on that. That's a great question as well. So uh, there's a couple there's a couple different pieces. That's very dynamic. The first thing is sometimes I think we get taught to set intentions. And we expect something to happen. The piece that we don't get taught is the action in between. Is that we we have to take the step to create the energy uh, for that intention. And that means the way we think, the way we speak, speak, the way we act, the way we come into relationship with people. Affirmations are a very cognitive activity. When we are in trauma response, 
all of our energy is going to keep us alive. It's going towards the major organs. So our decision-making power actually goes offline. It gets uh, shut down. Our prefrontal cortex gets offline. So we are not make we are not in a position to make decisions uh, when we're in trauma response. Even if it's a, a response that you're getting unconsciously, mm-hmm. your body is saying, "Whoa, I better send all of my energy." to my heart, my organs, my breathing, all of the things that keep me alive. So to to suggest to somebody that they're going to say affirmations cognitively is not going to have the impact um, for somebody with trauma who's in response. Well, that's interesting. So you might know that someone's feeling that way because maybe they say like, "I, I, I can't think right now. Or I don't know. I don't know what you just said, you know, exactly. um, something sure. like that. Yeah. So in, in, in the other piece of that is it creates shame. Oh. I work with clients a lot on shame and that is, well, why, why are these things not happening for me? You know, I've done all the things I've said, all the things I, you know, did, did all the affirmations, you know, and it, to work with that shame is, is really heartbreaking but is to say, look, your body's trying to keep you alive. It's doing this beautiful, beautiful system to keep you alive. Imagine that. So, of course, your body's not doing well with a cognitive piece. So, so we work with that. And that includes mitigating the things that cause the response with feng shui. So we start to put in place the feng shui. And there's that expansion they can do by then being able to do affirmations or um, intention work. So my guess would be that you don't, um, uh, uh, you're not um, a one-time interactor with your clients. My guess is that you you have created a process with your clientele. And I, actually, I was wondering if you could fill us in on your business on Astea and what you do there and, you know, how it is that do you, do you work with your clients for a long period of time? Are they, I, I, do you have clients that you see two or three times and that's, everything is sufficient or does it go on for a year or more? I, how, how does it all work? You know, I think it's different for every uh, feng shui practitioner, but in my experience, it's been, I have people who, who have been a client who's a one-off and maybe I provide a report for them, which is something that I often do. And then I don't hear from them again. Um, Mm -hmm. They're satisfied with everything they're doing. They're referring back to their report. And then I have clients that I am in touch with almost weekly What I always say is if you're going to do any kind of trauma support healing, there has to be post-education. There has to be post-support because when you start shifting energy and you start working with well-worn neuropathways, something's going to shift that can create fear. It can create a terrifying feeling. So once somebody becomes my client, I am available by email. I am available by text. I'm available by Zoom. Um, I offer follow-ups in in my uh, at least residential service uh, where folks can check in a couple more times. Um, So so sometimes I'm working with just a typical visit and uh, we work with the report and maybe there are some questions and we stay in touch. Uh, But if it's a more in-depth work towards safety, it's usually much longer. 
So when you talk about that well-worn system that they're mm-hmm. working with, are you referring to that familiar hell over the hopeful heaven? Mm-hmm. So when we have trauma uh, and past painful learning, our bodies will look for the thing that requires the least amount of energy to keep us safe. So it's about energy uh resources and not choosing to stay stuck? Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a conscious choice most of the time. Um, Our nervous system, when we're in response, is driving the boat. And that's where things like self-sabotage come in and uh, people who feel stuck, who will say, you know, I've done all the things. Well, your body, you know, so our first priority is to create that innate safety, that embodied safety. And until our body feels that, it's always going to resist the change. It's always going to resist the risk because it feels like threat. Oh, that is very interesting. I'll bet you a lot of people are not aware of that. They just, they might look at a person like that person is so stubborn. Are you kidding me? That person won't budge. Don't even bother. And it's not anything about that. Well, and sometimes we say to ourselves, why is it not working? Well, your body still doesn't feel safe. So if people are looking for information on that, they can look for Dr. Peter Levine. Uh, they can look for Dr. Gabor Mate, uh, who's a little bit controversial right now, but in, in his essence, I think is genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, in any kind of what we call bottom-up healing, it's body-based work. Bottom-up healing is what your uh, mm-hmm. the method or the the term is used. Yeah. So remember again that when we're in trauma response and our, our decision-making frontal executive function goes offline, things like talk therapy mm-hmm. are maybe going to be a little bit dis. Uh, not as effective because we want to work with the body somatically to really release and heal what's, what's happening there because that's where our body is holding the experience. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think a lot of people are, are familiar with that. Well, we have a couple of minutes left and I was wondering um, if you have any quick tips before we say so long. If you were going to walk through your space, um, uh, the things I would look for is how your body reacts. How does your body feel in this space? What am I feeling in this space? Am I feeling sorrowful? Am I feeling excited to go home? Or does it make me anxious? Mm-hmm. And then you start to look for the stimulus that are causing that. What what cues is your is your home giving you? You know what what is your what, how can we go deeper? So we we do a lot of that in feng shui, just generally speaking. It, it, that's what I tell my clients. How do you feel when you go home? Do, when you're out and about, do you want to go home? You know, some people are like, and eh, no, there's nothing waiting for me there. I, <laughs> I don't even want to bother going home. So I might think about, does your, does your household meaning? Does your space hold meaning? Does it tell yeah. your story? Is it comprehensive and is it manageable? Yeah. Comprehensive um, and manageable. Yeah, I, I and- like that. And people can learn about that. You know, I'm part of the International Feng Shui Guild, and there's a summit coming up November 16th to the 18th. Mm -hmm. And uh, people can hear a handful of speakers. It's free. Um, If people go and explore that on Google, uh, check out the International Feng Shui Guild. Uh, They can learn more about that. I am not speaking this year. I spoke last spring. Yes, and um, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating story that you tell. It's an amazing thing that you've done for your clients, what you've done personally for yourself. I'm, uh, you know, I know how you feel. I know you don't want to hear, "Oh, I'm impressed," and that's inspirational. I get that. I know what you I know what you mean by that. Um, but it is. There's not every, not everybody has had to 
cope with what you have. And then you've made this beautiful life, not only for yourself, but you're helping others. So I thank you so much for taking the time for being here today. And I thank all our listeners. And um, here we go. I, I thank you, Cynthia Young. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for everybody that was listening. Uh, please be in touch, be in contact. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to The Feng Shui Way with Catherine Dean. We hope today's episode has helped you understand the importance of feng shui in everyday life. Until we talk again, enjoy your week as you welcome in peace, balance, and abundance.